My name's Rob, I'm one of the pastors here. I wanna give my welcome to you as well. And I don't know what your mind and heart are like when you come in here on a Sunday morning and where you're, what you're thinking about, the kind of things you're carrying with you, the things that are preoccupying you. Um, you know, one of the great gifts our worship teams do is to help us refocus and to remember again, as they just did so powerfully on that last song, that no matter the season you're in, no matter the challenge that you're facing, there is an empty grave and Christ has been victorious and that he, you are on his side. And so we thank you to the worship team for their great leadership this morning and just for that gift again of being, having our perspective changed and having our eyes focused again on the risen Christ. Um, so as we head into our week, as we head into our day, no matter what it is that we're facing, that we remember that powerful, historical truth that changes everything. So thank you to the team for that. We're uh, teaching through the scriptures, and uh, we're moving into the, bur- the book of Kings, uh, chapters 12 to 16 this week. Very fortunate, four short chapters. Um, not too hard to, to get through, I hope. Uh, so let me start with a story. Uh, a number of years ago, maybe two or three, um, I was on vacation. My family was on vacation with another family, and uh, we were just kind of relaxing, enjoying lovely summer weather. Uh, we were out for a canoe, and uh, we were out kind of exploring the Washtomoic Lake. We came across an island, so we went on to it to explore it a little bit. So I'm wearing just my sandals, my flip-flops, and uh, we're out kind of exploring this island, and there is a tree that has fallen down, and I step on it to keep going. And on this tree that had fallen was a short branch that had been broken off, just the stump of a branch about this big, uh, nothing really all that significant, except for the fact that I stepped on it, and it poked through my sandal and went directly into the arch of my foot. Now, it's in those times that it's great not to be alone and to know that you've got friends there who are there with you um, who immediately ran to my attention and took a picture. which you're enjoying the benefits of right now. I know, it's taking any thoughts of lunch off your mind. So what happens is a piece of broken, moldy, rotten wood was now slightly embedded into the arch of my foot. And you can see my lovely bride down in the corner picture there fulfilling her vows for better or for worse. This is the uh, for worse part, digging it out. So I get back and suddenly there's two camps of advice, two groups of counsel that I'm open to. The large majority of the council was, you should really get that looked at. The other council, which was one person, which was, it'll be okay, my foot will be fine, and I don't need to do anything about it. I'm sure it'll just get better on its own. The next morning I wake up. My foot is throbbing. It is very red and swollen, and I'm in great pain. And I'm forced with the decision, do I swallow my pride and do the right thing, or do I just kind of keep going as I had been doing? Well, why do I tell you this story? Because within this story, there's three important questions that I had to ask myself at different points that dictated the outcome of this event. And as we look at the passages from this week's reading, 1 Kings chapter 12 through 16, the same three questions were a part of the decision-making process of the characters that we read in this story. And in fact, they're the same three questions that you face every time you are in a situation or in a season of life. They're the same questions and how we respond to them. And the decisions that we make around them dictate ultimately the outcome of those stories. And in our readings this week, we saw that this was a story about things falling apart. The chapters that we read this week, it was all about how things fall apart. 
It was the story of how a family fell apart, how a government fell apart, and then how a nation fell apart. And maybe you've been a part of something that fell apart. Maybe it was a friendship and, you know, something happened. And you're polite to each other, but there's tension. And it's never been the same. Maybe it's a work environment. Maybe there's division in your workplace. Maybe there's camps in your workplace. Maybe there's management and employees. And it's just nobody's getting along and it's difficult. Or maybe you grew up in a home where there was divorce or there was conflict, or maybe you're in a home and the siblings don't get along, and maybe there was this big blow-up, or maybe it's just the accumulation of years and years and years that things just kind of pile up. Maybe it was clearly one person's fault, or maybe it just was that, you know, we don't even know what happened anymore. We just know that we're divided, that things have fallen apart. And regardless, regardless if it's a family, if it's a nation or a workplace, it's difficult, it's complicated, and it's messy. And as we look at the three main characters in this week's readings, we see how messy things can get. So let me just give you a quick overview of kind of the three people that were a part of this week's readings and a little bit of their circumstances. First, we had Solomon. We talked about Solomon last week. Solomon is, this, is David's son with Bathsheba. He became the leader of Israel. He prayed for and was granted great wisdom. He lived during a time of great prosperity and political peace. It was gravy train days. Things were going so well. But as Matt pointed out to us last week, Solomon's leadership did not end well. And near the end of his life, he started to marry lots of wives. He started to practice polygamy. And not only that, he welcomed wives of other faiths, and he started to worship their gods and allow their gods into their nation. And God's punishment for this was to allow Israel to be divided. This is Solomon. The second character that we came across in our reading this week was Rehoboam. And 1 Kings chapter 12 starts out this way. Rehoboam went to Shechem, for all the Israelites had gone there to make him the king. And Rehoboam is Solomon's son who takes over his leadership. And as soon as he becomes the king, as soon as he becomes the leader, all of the problems from Solomon's day come to the surface, and everybody sees this as their opportunity to get some things fixed. New king, new day, let's make sure we let him know how unhappy we are under Solomon's leadership. Solomon in his later days became heavy-handed. And he became, he just extracted from his people more and more labor and drove them almost into slavery. So as Rehoboam becomes king and he hears all of these complaints coming his direction, he follows in his father's footsteps and he gets some counsel. He seeks some advice. He gets two sets of advice. First, he goes to his dad's old advisory council, older, wiser, spiritual men, and he asks them what to do. And they say, look, it's true. Your dad's hard on people. He keeps extracting more and more labor out of them. You need to dial it back. You need to make some changes. That's one set of advice. The other set of advice is that Rehoboam asks his cronies, his peers, who are all benefiting from everybody else's hard labor, and he asks them what he should do, and they all say this, don't give them an inch. As soon as you give them an inch, as soon as you take the foot off the gas in any way, these people are going to take advantage of you. And so Rehoboam goes with this advice. And this is where we meet our third character, Jeroboam. 
He's the leader of the group who's come to Rehoboam to complain about the way things are. He had worked for Solomon in construction back in Jerusalem. He had done really well and got a promotion, but he's unhappy with the way that Solomon had led things. And now that Rehoboam is in charge, he sees this is his opportunity to make some changes, and he's going to be the leader to get things done. But when it becomes clear that Rehoboam has no, chance, or no interest at all in changing things, and Rehoboam sends a leader down to let everybody know things are going to continue as they were. They stone him and murder the messenger. And Jeroboam takes all of the people and they become, and they anoint him as king. And now we've got a nation that's divided, split in two. Two kings, two leaders, and neither of them like each other. And in the next number of weeks, as you continue to read through the story of kings, you're going to read about the northern kingdom, the southern kingdom. You're going to read about good kings and bad kings. And you're going to just be filled with stories of all kinds of chaos and brokenness and division. And at the heart of this story are the decisions that lead to division. The decisions that lead to division. Will I take my sin seriously? Will I get good counsel? And will I choose the Lord's way? Will I take my sin seriously? Will I get good counsel? And will I choose the Lord's way? And we have the luxury of looking over these four chapters of Scripture today and kind of dissecting them and figuring out where they went wrong. And the point is not to point fingers. The point is not to be shocked at how obvious the answers were. The point is that you and I would see in ourselves and in our own lives where the seeds might be starting to grow, that we might start to experience that same falling apart and that same division and that same brokenness because we don't deal with these same things. So let me just pose three questions to you this morning that I think come from this story that will be helpful to us. And the first of this, will I acknowledge the seriousness of my sin? Will I acknowledge the seriousness of my sin? As we've been reading through the scriptures, we have seen again and again, sin always leads to things falling apart. It always leads to things falling apart, whether it was Adam and Eve in the very beginning, sin-causing division, whether it was Abraham and Sarah and Hagar. You know, strangely enough, when you invite another woman to sleep with your husband, it doesn't always make things better. So maybe you need to write that down in your notes today, and maybe that's new to you, but uh, it caused division. Sin causes division. Jacob and Esau, divided. Joseph and his brothers, divided. David and his son divided. And the common ingredient in all of these stories is that sin causes division. And it's no different in Solomon's story. Solomon not was polygamous. He brought all these extra wives into his life. And he allowed them to come on in with their different faith and their different religion and their different worship practices. And Solomon was heavy-handed on his people. He was ignoring the advice of Leviticus, which gave all kinds of instructions about how you ought to treat your employees. He threw it out the window so that he could have more profits. And his sin led to division. As I sat on the island that day with my bloody foot, everything within me wanted to say, this is no big deal. This wound is no big deal. Nothing bad will come from this. If I just ignore the seriousness of it, it will just heal itself. No one will care. It won't lead to anything. And maybe today you're kind of sitting in a similar situation. And you're just hoping that your sin will not lead to anything serious. That if you just overlook it, if you just ignore it, if you just kind of pretend that it isn't there, that nothing serious will happen. 
I'm here to tell you today that it will lead to things falling apart. If it's dishonesty, maybe you're thinking it's no big deal. In fact, my dishonesty, my lying, my lies are keeping things from getting worse. Maybe it's your anger, you've got a firm grip, you've got a controlling personality, and you feel if I wasn't doing that, the whole family would fall apart. Maybe it's a private sin, and you think, you know what, if this gets out into the public, it's only going to make things worse. It's better to keep it secret. The lesson from these characters, the lesson from the beginning of, from Genesis chapter 3 to 1 Kings chapter 16 is that when we don't take sin seriously, it causes things to fall apart. The second lesson from these chapters this week is will you seek godly counsel? Will you seek godly counsel? As soon as I ripped my foot open and saw the wound, I got counsel. I didn't like it, but I got counsel nonetheless. Where are you getting counsel? And not just counsel, where are you getting godly, biblical counsel? Because it matters, and it matters a lot. Not quote-unquote spiritual counsel that's opening to you have a soul and a spiritual side. I'm talking about godly, biblical wisdom and instruction. If you want to be like Christ, then you must seek counsel from someone who knows Christ and, know, and knows what Christ expects from us. You need counsel from someone who will encourage you to pursue dreams of God's kingdom. And I'm not saying that there is no wisdom outside of the Christian community, but there is no replacement for godly, biblical counsel. So much advice that I hear given to people, and I hear that people tell me, you know, so-and-so told me I should do this, boils down to this. Do what works for you. Make yourself the center of your life. Make yourself the center of your world and go after fulfilling all of your hopes and dreams. And yet nearly 100% of the problems in our lives stem from the fact that we are the center of everything. And we try to create a world that exists to serve us. It's been the testimony throughout this entire story series. And here's what godly wisdom looks like. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not rely on your own understandings in all of your ways, all of them, not some of them, not a couple of them, not the ones that are just easy and I naturally gravitate towards. In all of your ways, acknowledge him. Acknowledge him as Lord of your life. And he will direct your paths. He will make the way straight. He will open the doors. He will show you the way to take. Rehoboam, when he became king, suddenly he realized he needed advice, and he seeks it out from two different camps. Let me just say something today about seeking advice from older, wiser, spiritual parents in your life and the need for that. Rehoboam goes to his dad's spiritual advisors and gets wisdom. Did you know that almost every survey, whether it's from the Christian community or whether it's just from the social science community, says that the number one things that 30-somethings and 30-year-olds and under are looking for today is mentors, someone to speak into their life, someone to sit down with them over coffee and hear them talk about some of the challenges and the difficulties and the decisions that they're trying to navigate and someone to simply share with them their story and what they've learned in their life. Yes, your worlds are very different. But every survey says that 30-somethings and under are looking for someone to give them some counsel, some wisdom, and some direction. So if you're like over 30, which is a few of you here, 40, over 50, over 60, 
and you have been following Christ and you've been reading your scriptures and you've been paying attention to your life and saying, you know, I did this and this happened and I learned from it, you have something invaluable to offer this next generation. And let me encourage you let me encourage you to be thinking about what that would look like for you to share that with other people. I love that our high school small groups that meet here at, during 930, um, it's common for them to bring in somebody to share their story with those high school students. Not that they were perfect and they did everything right. Not that it was all easy and following God is just a cakewalk. Here's what my life was like. Here's my journey. Here's an experience we went through and what we learned from it. It's invaluable for that next generation to hear that godly, biblical counsel from people who have lived, who are reading the scriptures, and who are learning things as they take their walk of faith. So where do you get counsel? Where are you getting that kind of godly advice? Who is in your world, maybe, that God is calling you to pass on some of the things that you've learned? You learned a lot. (laughs) You've gone through a lot. What a waste for it never to get shared to somebody else who could benefit from it. The third lesson, I think, from these verses this week. Will I obey God or will I seek to simply preserve my way? Will I obey God or will I seek to preserve myself? As I woke up the day after puncturing my foot, I had a decision to make. Do I swallow my pride and do the right thing? Or do I just keep on keeping on trying to sell my plan? Both Jeroboam and Rehoboam had opportunities to do the right thing. Both men, God spoke into their lives. For Rehoboam, God had said to him, your father is Solomon, your grandfather is David. I've made a promise and a covenant to him and I'm going to keep it. Choose wisely. For Jeroboam, when he was most frustrated with Solomon's leadership, when he was most discouraged, when he was most wanting change, the Lord sent a prophet to him and said to him this, someday you're going to be leading and you'll be able then to do things right and do things the way I would want you to do. And both of them ignored their instruction. In fact, Jeroboam, once he gets the chance to be king, He's worried that his people are going to go off and find Rehoboam, and they're going to go back to the old ways of worship. So do you remember what he built? Two golden calves in his territory, thinking, man, if I build these things, people can stay here and worship, and they won't travel down south to worship. Now, you don't have to be an Old Testament scholar to remember that golden calves in the Bible are bad, right? Do you remember from the Exodus story? They built a golden calf. And here we see sin repeating itself again. And both of these men face the exact same decisions that you and I face. That choice of do I honor the Lord and do what he's asked me to do? Or do I do what I want to do and kind of do what preserves me and preserves my way and keeps me from having to swallow my own pride. Each of us can think of moments when we've had to make that difficult, difficult decision. I see it often in relationships, whether it's moving in together or committing ourselves sexually to someone before we've committed ourselves spiritually and emotionally to them. And the question becomes essentially this, will I trust the Lord with all of my heart? 
and step away from my own understanding or my own wants or what I think is right or maybe what my friends have told me is right? And will I acknowledge him in all areas of my life and trust him with this and allow him to open the door and to show me the way and to show me his path? It's true in finances. I see it in issues of honesty and integrity. Doing the right thing is often means doing the difficult thing. It's just the way it is. Doing the right thing so often means doing the difficult thing. And the question becomes, will I trust the Lord? Step away from what I want to do in this situation. Do whatever's, or do whatever's easiest. Will I acknowledge him in all areas of my life? And just trust him to open the door and to show me the way forward. Will I do that? That is the essence of faith for all of us, wrestling with that decision, wrestling with that question. And maybe that's you today. Maybe you're in a season like that right now and there's some things going on, there's some circumstances, there's a relationship, and you're wrestling with God. I know this is what you want me to do. It's easy for me to do this. It's less awkward. It's less embarrassing. It means I don't have to have that conversation if I just do what I want to do. And the Lord, Jeroboam, Rehoboam, Solomon, all those guys face that decision. You and I face that decision. And God calls us to trust him. He calls us to trust him. So today, is there a sin in your life that you're just not taking seriously? You hope will just, no one will notice. You hope it'll just go away. It's just there. It's not causing any problems. The lesson from these verses is it will lead to things falling apart. Are you in need of godly counsel today? Do you need somebody in your life who's going to give you godly, biblical wisdom as you seek to navigate your way through life? Or today, do you just need to surrender and say, Lord, I am going to trust you with this situation, with this circumstance, with this relationship. I'm just going to trust you that as I give this to you and as I do what you've asked me to do, I don't know what it's going to look like, but you're going to open the doors and you're going to show me the way forward. Let me pray for you. Lord, today we are grateful that we are not alone in our challenges and we're not alone in our struggles. You see what we're going through. You see what we're wrestling with. And God, you have given yourself to us. We pray today for the courage to make the wise choices that we need to make. We pray today for your Holy Spirit to continue to speak to us about things in our life so that we can avoid things falling apart, so that we can avoid the kind of hurt and challenges and difficulties that always come as a result of our sin. And we thank you today that you love us enough to show us those things in our life to prevent us from such hardships and difficulties. May we have the courage to surrender ourselves to you, we pray in Christ's name.